Good morning. Namaste. I would like to pursue the same theme that I've talked about here before. There's still plenty to say on the issue of the environment, the web of life, the sacredness of all life, the liberation of all sentient beings from the Buddhist perspective. And previously I've talked about rather sweeping topics such as world religions, Christianity and Buddhism and their view of the environment. I've talked about the biggest and most environmentally destructive societies in the world, the United States and China. So today I, I would like to focus on a more intimate level of this problem, the level of the individual, our emotions, our motivations, and how each one of us confronts our knowledge of the environmental crisis day to day. The enormity of the problem of this environmental crisis is so overwhelming, it causes me to despair frequently. It causes me to doubt that minor changes matter at all. Quite honestly, I seriously think a very likely outcome of where we're headed is that our descendants will see our time, as they look back, as one that enjoyed unrivaled prosperity, material prosperity, at their expense, leaving them a ravaged ecosystem and a life severely reduced in its possibilities. However, despair does not help. But I think guilt can. <laughs> Let me explain. Those of us who enjoy a middle-income standard of living or above in America today are hypocrites if we are committed to ecological sustainability. Now, I live in a glass house, so lest not you think I am casting stones at you, I stand convicted. I live in a nice big house fueled by cold fire generating plants in the summer when I'm keeping it cool for my family. And those coal fire generating plants are a prime cause of global warming. So I, I don't have a moral leg to stand on when it comes to this issue of the environmental crisis. I realize that. I drove an hour, over an hour, to come here and give this talk to you all in a vehicle that burns carbon-rich gasoline. So that's a further part of the problem. And my understanding is, although I haven't done the mathematical calculations myself, but my understanding is that if everyone on Earth today lived at my standard of energy and resource consumption, it would take five planet Earths to support us all. And obviously, we just have the one, the one Mother Earth that we all depend on. So promoting sustainability makes me a hypocrite. Now, there's one easy solution to that problem. Stop promoting ecological sustainability. There's plenty of people who aren't really into that whole business at all. So they don't have that problem of being hypocritical. They can just go around mouthing the slogan, uh, Earth first, we'll mine the other planets later, that sort of thing. I'm stuck with being a hypocrite because I am in favor of ecological sustainability. 
But this makes me very, very guilty. I feel guilt. And that guilt can have different effects on us. Some of them are very destructive. Others, I believe, can be productive. So, as I've mentioned, sometimes guilt can lead to despair, and that's not productive. It paralyzes us. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that we're part of the problem, not part of the solution. We can rationalize inactivity through that. So sometimes, as the saying goes, it was an alternative name for this talk, sometimes the perfect becomes the enemy of the good. Knowing that we aren't doing all that we possibly could do can lead us to think, well, then we might as well not do anything at all. So that's obviously a problem. If I, through knowing that I'm not doing enough, then I don't bother to do anything at all. But guilt can be a prod to action. Recognizing that we're not doing enough can make us realize, well, then we should do more. It can be a prod to our enlightenment to realize that we are part of the problem. So let's get busy. Let's, let's get moving. Let's do something. Aware that I'm a hypocrite, I take steps to reduce that gap between what I say and what I do and try to narrow it. I remember to walk to work, which I can I can do that. I live only a mile from my job, so I can walk to work. I don't always walk to work, but I know that I should. So when I let guilt prod me to action rather than despair, I remember to walk to work. I replace, for instance, another thing I can do, I replace all my incandescent bulbs with these strange-looking things, which I'm sure most of you already use. But just in case you don't, I thought this would be a nice practical aspect of my talk today. It's called a CFL, a compact fluorescent bulb. It uses far less energy than a standard incandescent bulb, and they make them now fit that they will replace most incandescent bulbs, not every single one. But So you can replace all the bulbs in your house with these, and if everybody in America did that, we could reduce our need for some substantial number of coal-fired generating plants. That would be great. So we can do that. If we let our guilt prod us to action, we can do something like that. What else can I do? I can respond to my inbox full of emails, and rather than just delete them all, I can take the time to respond to the ones that are coming from the environmental groups, the listservs, which I've gone to the trouble to get on, but if I remember, then I can respond to them. I can put pressure on my legislators to do things like pass an increased CAFE standard, corporate average fuel efficiency. Believe it or not, the, let's see, which is which? The Senate. Our Senate passed an energy bill over the summer that includes a substantial increase in the corporate average fuel efficiency of uh, the automobiles manufactured in our country, which would lead to a huge reduction in the use of gasoline if it went into effect over the next, I think it's uh, going to gradually increase to 2020 up to 35 miles a gallon, something like that which is great, but unfortunately the House of Representatives didn't pass a CAFE standard. The auto industry blocked it in the House of Representatives. However, the House of Representatives, amazingly, for the first time, passed a renewable electricity standard, which would mandate all 50 states to increase up to some percentage, I think the language is about 15%, I can't remember 
15% of the electricity produced in the state would have to come from renewable sources, excluding hydropower, so solar or wind, and it doesn't include nuclear, so it's good, clean, renewable energy. This would be a great way to very rapidly boost our production of clean, renewable energy and reduce our effect on, on global warming. So this legislature is now in conference committee. So the House passed the renewable electric, electricity standard. The Senate passed the CAFE standard. But the question is, are either one of them going to survive the conference committee? So every one of us can contact our legislators right now before they vote again in the fall on a finalized energy bill. So that's something that we can do. If you feel like you have some responsibility and you're feeling guilty, there's something you can do. What else can I do? I give talks. I teach classes that promote sustainability. And I still feel guilty that I'm not doing enough, but I'm resolved not to make the perfect the enemy of the good. And I remember that conservative credo, good old Edmund Burke, I believe it was, who said, evil triumphs if good men, he said, will say people, if good people do nothing. So we need to do something. It may not be as much as we feel that we ought to be doing, and that's good. If we feel we're not doing enough, then we should let that prod us to do something more. If we've already replaced all the CFL bulbs, then what's next? We move on to doing something next. We don't, we don't become complacent and say, well, I've done my bit. No. So we need to work with our guilt. We need to work with our guilt, not suppress it, not deny it. I suppose some, some might take the view that, that guilt is just bad. It's wrong. It's a psychological problem. We shouldn't be beating ourselves up. Right? We should be making ourselves feel good. We should affirm ourselves and all that sort of thing. Well, I don't think so. I think we are part of the problem. We do have a reason to feel guilty. But we should let that guilt spur us to action rather than despair. Now, I want to share with you a bit of social science research that I recently ran across, which is a bit more abstract than what I've been saying. But I found this tremendously heartening. Recent research that's been accumulating showing the possibility that we can hold one another accountable to a higher standard. That rather than it just being a question of each one of our individual selves wrestling with our conscience, that there's a process of interaction that might help lock in the positive uh, development of these ecological changes. And the concept in this research is known as strong reciprocity. Now, any of you who are familiar with economics may know that it's, it's been well recognized for some time, something known as uh, a weak form of reciprocity, where if someone does something for you, you'll do something in, in return. But the notion that you would hold someone accountable to a standard, whether or not they've done anything for you, is known as strong reciprocity. Strong reciprocity involves altruism, people acting on behalf of the group, and holding people accountable who don't act on behalf of the group, actually punishing them in some way if they don't do what they're supposed to do. Which leads me to another alternative talk. The name for this talk was, which was going to be Punish the Liberal. But seriously, the idea here, which is well established in experimental research, is that people will actually pay a cost to themselves to act on behalf of the group to hold people accountable to a group norm of behavior. 
All right, let me give you a simple example of, of uh, some of this research. There's something called the ultimatum game. And the way the ultimatum game works is that there are two people interacting in this experiment. The one is called the proposer and the other the receiver. The proposer is given $10, real dollars, by the way, $10, and they make a proposal of how they're going to divide the $10 between themselves and the receiver. The, rece the receiver either accepts or rejects the proposal. That's why it's called an ultimatum. You simply make this ultimatum and it's take it or leave it. Now, what do you think? Based on American college students, when you run this experiment, and the proposer says, okay, I've got $10. I propose to give part of it to you and part of it to me. What do you think the most common accepted proposal is? Exactly. It's a 50-50 split. And there's never any question about that being accepted. Oh, I, f I think I forgot to say, if it's rejected, then neither party gets anything. Very important. All right. So if you say, hey, I'll give you a buck and I'll keep nine. Nine for me, one for you. And if the receiver rejects that proposal, then you don't get your nine dollars and they don't get one. Nobody gets anything. So you have to make a proposal that's going to be acceptable to both parties. What these experiments have shown is that if you offer less than four, the rate of acceptance begins to dramatically plummet. So people expect fairness. They expect reciprocity in their interactions with other people. How does this relate to what I've been talking about? If people begin to make changes in their way of life, if they begin to take action that they may feel some self-sacrifice by, do, by doing on behalf of future generations or the environment, they're not going to feel so inclined to do it if they feel like, well, I'm just doing it myself and nobody else is going along. Nobody else is doing it, right? It needs to be a community commitment. There needs to be that shared community effort. And so I believe what this research to me shows, what it, the reason that it heartens me, it encourages me, it gives me courage to act, is because I think if we can begin to spread new norms of behavior, new ecologically responsible norms of behavior, we can expect that this strong reciprocal tendency on the part of our fellow human beings will kick in and will help spread it, will help lock it in as a behavior in the general population. Now, of course, I could construct a talk that would give all kinds of counter evidence to that and make you all discouraged. But after spending a whole talk on guilt, I didn't want to end on a discouraging note. So I think there is hope. There is the possibility that if we work with our guilt and we let it spur us to action, that we will not be acting alone. We can be part of something bigger than ourselves, a process that will, from the bottom up, to complement the changes from the top down in policy, but from the bottom up in terms of individual choices and the way we act in our day-to-day -day lives in our communities, lead us in the direction that we need to go. So in conclusion, our human nature is part of nature. We need to be awake to our common identity, our lack of separation with the web of life, and we need to let that awareness pull us lovingly to do what needs to be done. Namaste.